Welcome to the Mary Jane Experience. Unbiased, unabridged, and most of all, informative. From our mountaintop view here in Colorado, here's how we see the cannabis industry today. Let's look at weed. Strawberry Squirrel wants to talk to the Chinese Oracle. Hell yeah, I do. Because this is the Mary Jane Experience, where we pretty much evaluate anything spiritual, including, but not limited to, the female marijuana plant. Welcome back, everybody. It is the Mary Jane Experience podcast. Is this episode 50? I think it's getting really close, but I think it's like 48. Okay. I thought this we'll was going to be like, uh, oh like, my God, it's you. <laughs> we should really know that. We're the worst <laughs> podcasters. Anyway, anyway, this week, um, another cool story. This is a little bit off the beaten path. A lesser known story has to do with kind of the um, beginnings of marijuana, we'll say. In California, At definitely. Least, yeah. So like the the beginning of the California scene into where it becomes medical for Californians, yeah. which changed medical cannabis or the way people view cannabis mm-hmm. in the entire U.S. forever. Yeah. Um, Maybe so, the world. <laughs> Maybe We'll see. To be seen. Maybe Probably. the universe, man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the universe has changed, man. The aliens were like, we got to go down there and get some of that plant. The aliens probably dropped it off and they were like, they'll figure it out. Anyway. That is a theory that people have is that cannabis was brought here from aliens as a gift to help us evolve. I certainly hope that's true. Anyway. It's a good one. um, So we flipped it up a little bit. Um, This week, actually, I did the interview. For once, pulling his fucking weight. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) How's that website look? Um, No, so it was really cool. I got to interview Alia Voles. Um, She just released a book on 420, pretty aptly timed, uh, called Home Baked. And it's actually the story of her mother and and her father actually as well, um, and how they used to run a marijuana brownie business in San Francisco in the 70s and 80s. Um, pretty cool actually, because my uncle moved to the Castro in the eighties and he used to make all of his own brownies and stuff. He actually knew some of the people, uh, that were colleagues of hers. So if you're familiar with cannabis history, you'd be familiar with the names Brownie Mary and Dennis Perron, um, who were big activists for cannabis in the eighties. Once Nancy Reagan, the fucking bleep. Um, started her war on drugs. Uh, There was a lot of activism there um, from those guys. Uh, Alia's mom sounds more like she was in the background of all of that. She wasn't politically active, but she was delivering a shit ton of weed to everybody. So yeah, she was, she was, she was behind the scenes kind of character. Just she was delivering weed in her baby's Alia's stroller in her stroller. She used to walk (laughs) around the neighborhood with a stroller full of weed brownies and Alia, um, and deliver pot brownies to everybody. So it's a great story. I haven't read the book. Um, again, it was just launched this week. Um, but she goes through a lot of really interesting history in this um she talks about what was going on politically and just in the scene in general Mm -hmm. and her parents were super cool and spiritual so like they relied on the I Ching to see if it was going to be safe to sell drugs that day so there's just so many interesting facets of this story and I can't wait for everybody to hear it absolutely so 
This is another one. We're going to just let the interview play out. Um, I had a great conversation with her um, going through the whole history, um, the history behind the story, the story itself, and then leading up to now um, Alia's um, involvement in the cannabis industry, which is kind of really cool. Uh, of course, we asked the 1, 5, and 10, so we'll get into that, but I can't wait to read this book. Um, it, it's That's a section of the cannabis story that I'm not deeply familiar with, so I'm really excited to actually get to know it. But these are kind of the cool stories that we're looking for here on the Mary Jane Experience because it is people's like Alia's mom and Dennis Perron and Brownie Mary. Those those guys are the forefathers and, and foremothers of the cannabis industry. So we really have them to thank for our ability to go to cannabis yoga and get cannabis drinks and all those like. So it's cool to know the history. Know where you came from. Know your roots. Anyway. Yeah. So, without further ado, we're just going to let this interview play. Here is Alia Voles speaking about her new book, Home Baked, her mother's story about selling brownies in San Francisco. But first, we call this section of the podcast, Keeping the Lights On. This week's episode is brought to you by Leafwell. Leafwell is a network of certified doctors who can help you get your medical card for medical cannabis in these tough times when we are all quarantined and we can't leave the house that's right leafwell has come up with a solution to make sure that you get quality medical cannabis in this time of need and beyond even when we leave the house if you have any reason you don't want to go to a doctor to get your medical card you can use leafwell to do it from the comfort of your own home we have partnered with leafwell to get you ten dollars off your first consultation Use code MJE10. That's right. MJE10 will get you $10 off your first consultation with Leafwell. Follow the link in the description of this podcast. We will also have links up on our website and social media accounts. So if you have ever been interested in getting your medical card in pretty much every state that has medical marijuana, Leafwell can help you do it from the comfort of your own home. That's right. Code MJE10 to get $10 off your first consultation. And without further ado, back to the stories. Cool. So we are recording. Okay. So I am here today with Alia. Did I get it right? Yes, that's it exactly. Got it. Alia Bowles. And she is an author. You've done all kinds of stuff across the board. I'll, I'll let you kind of give your introduction. Um, who are you and what are you doing? Okay. Um, well, hi. Thank you for having me. So I have been a, um, I've been a nonfiction writer for quite some time. I've got a lot of essays out and about. And this is my first book-length project. Uh, it's called Home Baked, My Mom, Marijuana, and the Stoning of San Francisco. And it's the story of my family's pioneering cannabis edibles business, which was the first to do high volume in San Francisco in the 70s. Um, they were distributing upwards of 10,000 brownies a month when I was born. And then during the, the AIDS crisis in the um, early, mid, late 80s, it transitioned into the dawn of medical marijuana. So ultimately, the book is about the transition from party drug to panacea, uh, and how that happened through, uh, through the AIDS crisis and, um, in San Francisco specifically. 
God, I got it. Very interesting. So um, what made you want to want to write this book? I mean, outside of the fact that it just sounds like a, a, an interesting story. I, I can't wait to read it. Personally, <laughs> but I, I, I do want to know, like, what was the impetus? Why? Why this story? Why now? Sure. Um, well, this is a story that has always been with me. Of course, it's my family. And I grew up um, during the days of cannabis prohibition. And um, I always knew, you know, from early childhood that the family business was illegal. And so it was a secret that I grew up guarding very closely. Um, as even as a young child, aware that my parents could go to prison if anybody found out what what they were involved in. Um, so I've I've had this this story for a long time, and uh, both as a child and then and then later becoming an adult, I I felt like I had this this really rich world um, that I wanted to let people into uh, when it became safe enough to do that. The why now is a little bit different um, because, uh, let's see, I, I think I came back to the book in about 2016, and it was when California was looking at um, at uh, legalizing at the state level, of course, of the recreational use of cannabis. And the the industry changed so much. Now everybody's got access to it and it's a, it's a younger generation. And I found that it was starting to sit uneasily with me that no one was talking about HIV anymore in that context. Um, I grew up during the AIDS crisis and uh, from the, the perspective of a kid in the medical marijuana movement, um, I saw what people went through to get us this right. Um, you know, I, I believe having seen it firsthand and, and then having researched it extensively that we would not have legal recreational cannabis without the AIDS crisis and without the, the work of those activists. Um, so that became my reason for wanting to tell this story because I feel like we have a certain debt of remembrance um to the people who fought for this right and this access mm. absolutely for sure that was a bit uh, long-winded i'm sorry <laughs> no 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 they could uh, we love the long-winded um responses because they tend to they tend to gain a little insight um into into everything else so don't worry about that at all um okay so so talk to us a little bit about that um so for me personally my uncle actually grew up in San Francisco in the 80s. He has AIDS. Hmm. Um, hmm. He grew up, uh, he had a house on Ford Street for the longest time. Um, mm -hmm. In the Castro. So, yeah, 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 right there mm -hmm. in the Castro, right up, like kind of behind Market Street in there, in that whole area. Mm -hmm. um, what was it like being in San Francisco pre legalization? What was the culture surrounding cannabis? Was it was it still hush hush? Was it a little bit more out there? Um, just for the people that weren't there, kind of give us a mm -hmm. little background about San Francisco's culture and how it's changed over and the years. Are you are you asking me about seventies or eighties? I'm sorry. Seventies, eighties, nineties, thousands. Okay. Twenty tens, twenty twenties. 
all across <laughs> the board, kind of how have you seen it predominantly change? And, and again, sure. including those parts about, you know, AIDS and activism and, and then moving into to medical and then recreational, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was born in 1977 and in the latter part of that decade, of course, I was a baby. I've um, done quite a bit of extensive, I'll say, interviewing um, for my book and gotten a bigger picture of it. But San Francisco was really ground zero for the gay liberation movement in California. Um, and during this era that my folks had Sticky Fingers Brownies as a delivery service, uh, and we're moving 10,000 brownies a month. Um, my mom's route was in the Castro, and she, she, on a weekly basis, delivered to the guys who worked in Harvey Milk's camera shop um, and campaign headquarters. And uh, the disco star Sylvester was a regular customer. And so uh, she would pack up my stroller with brownies uh, hanging off the back bar, uh, off the back bars of the stroller, and take me through the Castro and they had a fixed, she had a fixed delivery route. So she'd at that point, um, at that time she was selling to the people at work in the bars and boutiques and restaurants and offices along her route and uh, would sell at high volume to them and then they would distribute. So it was very much like interwoven into the culture. Um, at that time, it was pretty wild. There weren't, there wasn't a, a strong sense of consequences yet. That came about later. Um, it was a really out and open time. Um, the gay liberation movement had just taken off in San Francisco. Harvey Milk made it into office. Of course, he was assassinated soon after. Um, but that period, like all the mores that had gotten shaken up during the 60s, um, really gave people this feeling of limitlessness. And it had a lot of extremes and not all the extremes were positive. Um, the Jonestown massacre happened during that time, you know, people chasing an ideal and then it goes dark and it goes south. Um, so there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of really wild intensity. Then the 80s come along and AIDS come along, it comes along and um, it just cut this out, this horrible swath of of uh, of death and destruction through that really vibrant community. Um, it was a very dark time, and and I was old enough at that point to be aware of it and to feel the loss of people I had grown up thinking of as kind of surrogate aunties and uncles, and and um, it was a very it was a very dark, very scary time in the 80s um and oh gosh i'm rambling i've completely forgotten your question <laughs> no i have worries. no idea what you asked me <laughs> no I was, I was just curious about the the cultural changes in san francisco oh, over time cultural as, it surrounds, as, as it surrounds cannabis or, or just the cultural changes in general yes so you can get kind of a okay thank you <laughs> of course <laughs> i'm gonna get back on track here um <laughs> <laughs> so in the in the 80s cannabis became really politicized um i would say we had on the on the one hand ronald reagan in office who uh had relaunched the war on drugs and um specifically 
went after cannabis and California cannabis growers, uh, the campaign against marijuana planting camp uh, repurposed milita disused military equipment, you know, U-2 spy, spy planes and infrared cameras and helicopters to go after California growers. Um, and uh, so it, there was like this very, really intense conservative backlash. And at the same time, you had uh, you had people getting sick and people dying. And it became clear early on that cannabis was helpful with some of the really with some of the worst AIDS related symptoms, specifically the wasting syndrome. Um, you know, everyone knows about the munchies, right? Mm -hmm. So people who were unable to eat because of nausea and AIDS-related anorexia and were literally wasting away uh, could find some relief with cannabis, completely illegal. Um, and so these underground networks arose, um, and 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 of, of course. Um, people like Dennis Perone and Brownie Mary, who were both San Francisco based and colleagues of my mom's, uh, became, I did, took, took, the, um, took the movement public and became quite high profile. But it was through that period and that transition that marijuana began to shift, I think, in, in the understanding of the American public to becoming a medical, um, uh, to, to becoming a, med a medicinal substance, whereas before that, and there was all this propaganda from within the administration that was casting it purely as a party drug. And it was really the beginning of medical marijuana. I mean, there were some early inroads with that in the, in the 70s, but this is when it began to catch on as uh, a national movement. Very interesting. And, <clears throat> No worries. Um, I'd, I'd like to double back there. Um, you did uh, talk about uh, almost in the 70s, there was this, this kind of feeling of a lack of consequence. Um, then moving into the 80s, obviously it became politicized and the war on drugs, things of the like. Was there ever a time that you can speak of or, or even stories that your mom might talk about with uh, interactions with either police or authority figures went while she was partaking in, uh, let's call it the sticky fingers business. Yeah. Um, so, well, this is, uh, this is kind of funny. Um, my folks believed very strongly in, um, in the I Ching and astrology and the Tarot, things like that. Um, especially the I Ching. And my mom would toss I Ching hexagrams. So she's consulting a kind of, it's, a, it's an ancient Chinese oracle um, that was you know, popular among hippies. And she would consult the I Ching before doing anything. They considered it a silent partner in the business. And to this day, she will tell you that the reason they never got busted was because the I Ching kept them safe. I don't know if that's true, but that's what my mom says. Um, they did uh, they did follow it very closely, and so there was a time. This would have been summer of 1978, when the business was booming, um, and 
my mom's weekly hexagrams before going out and doing her delivery route became ominous. And the, the imagery that she was getting from the hexagrams had to do with incarceration. It had to do with consequences. And she took that to mean that the police were sniffing around and she was going to get busted. My folks actually closed the business. And not only that, they moved out of San Francisco to Willits, which is up in the Emerald Triangle in Mendocino County, and uh, ended up living there for several years. But they, they closed the business because the Oracle told them to. Uh, they reopened soon after, and from that point, my mom was bringing brownies and also Bud uh, down to San Francisco from, the, from, uh, from Willits, from the Emerald Triangle and selling on a monthly basis. Uh, but they, so they, they were, my point is that they were willing to completely upend their business based on the predictions from the I Ching, from this oracle. Um, and I'm telling you that because she never got busted, not once in all of this time. Uh, and uh, let's see, my mom was in the business for 22 years. So it's kind of amazing. Um, Another thing, let's see, there weren't even any particularly close calls. There were a couple of times when she was doing her delivery route and her customers alerted her to police in the area. That did happen a couple of times uh, when, for example, she was in a magic shop once and was doing a deal. She'd do, she'd do her deals a lot of the time right at the counter and she was doing a deal with the, the clerk at the counter who suddenly said, oh, hello, officer so-and-so, nice to see you today. And it was a plainclothes cop. So my mom bought like a, you know, a little magic trick at the counter and walked out. Uh, things like that happened. But um, she never had any direct interactions with the police. Um, meanwhile, uh, her friends and colleagues, Dennis Perone and, and Mary Jane Rathbun kept getting busted. So she just kind of stuck to the underground and flew below the radar and trusted her hippie oracles. And it worked. That's awesome, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> um, wow. That, that, that is incredible considering, you know, people were getting busted at the time. She went 22 years with really yeah. no interaction besides maybe you know the the close call here and there but that's that's incredible i gotta look into this well, e thing, to be honest what's that <laughs> i said i gotta look into this each thing to be honest i know right <laughs> um well also one of the things that probably happened and this is awfully unfair to brownie mary but um it seems very likely that the authorities thought they were the same person my mom was known as the Brownie Lady, and her name is Meredy, and people called her Mare. Uh, so she was Mare the Brownie Lady, and she started in 1976, and then the I Ching told her to close temporarily in, I'm sorry, I said 1978, that was 1979 when the business mm. closed temporarily. Um, and Brownie Mary started working in the Castro in around 1980. And um, as in like, well, she started doing her business on a, on a more larger, rec more recognizable scale. 
And, uh, and so they, then they overlapped and they went back and forth over the years. And poor Brownie Mary kept getting busted. Um, <laughs> and, you know, who wouldn't get confused, really? You have Brownie Mary and Mayor the Brownie Lady uh, both operating in the same neighborhood. Uh, so they didn't meet for a long time, which was funny because they had so many friends in common. But when they finally connected at, at a party at Dennis Perone's, one of Dennis Perone's cannabis clubs, one of the early ones, um, Brownie Mary comes out of this fog of marijuana smoke. And she said to Mayor, hey, you're the one who never got busted. And my mom said, well, you're the one who always did. And, you know, they had a laugh and a hug. Um, but it seems likely that Brownie Mary took some of the heat, which is unfortunate for her, but probably worked out well for my mom. Yeah, that's, I guess that's, that's the way the cookie at a brownie crumbles, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, that's good to know that they had, they had kind of a good sense of humor about it. And, and I guess it's hard sure. to be right at the end of the day um, sure. to be in the same business well, in the you, neighborhood for so long. Yes. And Brownie Mary, you know, she was so, so important to the, can the medical cannabis movement. Um, and part of that was because she kept getting busted and she was kind of ingenious about turning her arrests into media opportunities and using that energy um, and attention to move eventually to change laws. So uh, my mom just stayed underground and she wasn't as she wasn't a central figure in the medical marijuana movement like Brownie Mary became. Uh, so it, it, it worked out in a way yeah. Um, well, well, let's talk about that, actually, because um, you do mention that your mom moved to to kind of support the activism of the 80s. Um, what was her role in that? What what did she partake in activism wise? And, and was it behind the scenes? It sounds like she kind of tried to lay low the whole time. Uh, maybe just speak to that briefly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She did. She did lay low. She kept a low profile, um, she continued providing the cannabis and getting it into bodies. And um, her, her low profile allowed her to do that. So she had since the mid 70s been working with Dennis Perone um, back when he had the big top marijuana supermarket. This is long before medical marijuana was uh, a factor in San Francisco, in, at least. But it, it, this was the forerunner to his cannabis clubs, um, which were the forerunners to modern dispensaries. So he had that going on in, I think, I think he started the Big Top in 1974. Um, and my mom had been selling him large quantities of brownies for him to carry in his shop uh, since then, since that time. And during the AIDS crisis, um, that, that continued. So Dennis was really key in bringing people like my mom and Brownie Mary and uh, people who had the, the medicinal goods together. And um, I'll say bringing their products to, into one place where people could access them. Um, so she continued to fill that role and had an extensive uh, network 
of of her own um, clients that had carried over from the 70s and continued to expand. So she did a lot of, um, in the 80s, she did a lot of home deliveries to people who were too sick to get to go out. Um, and uh, people also came to our house uh, every on a, on a regular basis every day for brownies and, and other cannabis products. Um, so she was, she stayed on the su supply end of it. Um, I think that the busts really pushed people into, into the limelight and then cr that creates a platform. But if you can keep operating instead of being taken out of business and becoming, um, becoming a spokesperson, uh, well, you keep doing that. Got it. Makes sense. Well, let's shift gears here a little bit. Uh, let's talk about you. Um, <laughs> so you've been, how, how long have you been a writer for professionally? Oh, I don't know. Maybe about a decade. Um, I think, I think about a decade that I've been doing it seriously. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, and what is what is your relationship with the cannabis plant? You grew up in and around this kind of, like you mentioned, vibrant culture, kind of the epicenter, if you will, of cannabis legalization for the last, we'll call it four decades. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talk to us about your, your relationship with cannabis. How do you view it? How have you used it? If, if you've mm -hmm. gone about it in a completely different way? Yeah, you know, I'm not a big consumer of cannabis. I I believe in it. I care about it. I support it, but I don't use it very often myself. Um, I just, uh, I guess somehow I, I, I don't, I don't, how do I say this? Um, I don't love being stoned. It just doesn't suit me. So, uh, so I'm not a, a big consumer recreationally. I have found some products that I like for sleep. I've found a couple of things that I like topically, um, but I'm not, I'm not big in, I, I, I just don't, I don't use a lot, um, but I care a lot about it. So I have a, I have more of an emotional relationship to the plant, I think, that comes with growing up in that culture. And I grew up really surrounded by it. I've, I've been thinking a lot lately about, uh, about how, I guess this, kind of goes to your earlier question about how cannabis culture has changed in San Francisco. Um, I'm talking myself into circles again. I apologize. That's all good. Um, oh, thank God for editors, huh? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, today you walk into a, a dispensary and, and it's like going into an Apple store. It's very clean. It's very sterile. You can, any any marijuana odor is kind of generic and subtle in a way. Um, you can't touch the plant. You can't inter you can't smell the plant before you buy it. Um, everything is sealed, you know. And when I was a kid, it was just oh god, it was just everywhere in our house. There were huge black garbage bags, huge glad garbage bags of whole sometimes with whole plants in them or unprocessed pot because my, my folks would use shake for baking. And so a lot of the detritus from um, the expensive bud coming out of 
Mendocino and Humboldt counties would end up in our house. And um, and then the baking process really put it everywhere. Grinding, it would just billow around my dad while he ground the pot into uh, into a dust that could be used in the brownies. Um, this is before infusions. And um, and then my parents smoked, and so that was always everywhere, and the brownies were always everywhere. And so I, I grew up having a really um, physical interaction, I think, with the plant. And I've always loved the smell. Um, uh, to this day, the smell of, of Mendocino Outdoor just, oh my God, it sends me right back to babyhood. Um, so I have this kind of sensory-based interaction with it that I care a lot about. Um, but I don't use it a lot, which is kind of, I guess it's kind of funny, uh, especially since I've written a whole book here. Um, but it matters to me that people have access to it who who wish to use it for medicinal or psychiatric reasons or just to relax. Um, it's it it seems it seems important. <laughs> Absolutely, no. It it's interesting that you say that, and um, because I'm I'm very similar. I'm I'm not a huge user, but an advocate and a love for it. And it really? does have, <laughs> yeah, it has that feel. Well, um, I can't smoke a lot because I, I do a lot of um, long distance athletics. So oh, okay. just smoking anything in general is really right. bad for me. Um, right. and, I, and I could just notice like, you know, I'll smoke a joint over the weekend. We're hanging out with friends and then come Monday, Tuesday, when I go back to training runs and things like that, I just, that that fear of feeling like a collapsing lung on a Tuesday pretty much prevents my smoking on a Saturday. Um, mm -hmm. But ag agreed, like I do have this feeling it's a plant. You know, I think it it should it should be available. It should be accessible to people if we have all these other um, kind of nefarious quote unquote drugs and and treatments out there that that seem to do more harm than good. Like. Why not? Why not have access to a plant? So I'm I'm totally in agreement with you there, and it's it's funny to hear somebody else say what I <laughs> kind of have to tell people all the time because they're like, oh, you must mm -hmm. Mary Jane experience. You must be a huge pothead. It's like, well, right? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just um, kind of you know I'm an advocate for it, but it's funny that that uh, right. one thing I thought of is it's almost like all all kids rebel against their parents, right? You know, in, in some fashion, like you have these parents like, that have this underground cannabis business there all your life growing up. And, and you're like, yeah, you know, I love it. A spiritual connection. You know, I love the smell of it, but not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, I don't think of it in so much as a rebel as rebelling against my folks or their culture. But uh, it certainly took the mystique out of it. Just having it absolutely everywhere. And also growing up, my parents were very open with me about the nature of their business as a kid. They didn't try to hide any of it. And it demystifies it. So there was never a feeling um, like you get, to, you get to be a preteen or a teenager or whatever, and you start doing the things you're not supposed to do. Well, marijuana was never among those things for me. So it just didn't have, it was just not a big deal. Um, and uh, I don't know, it, it, it doesn't have that excitement. And um, it just, 
I don't know. It just isn't, it's not my drug of choice, I guess. Uh, but what I care about mo- more than anything is that it get to the point where we can study it appropriately. It seems to me just so outlandishly stupid that we have not harnessed the, the, the true medicinal potential through appropriate, careful scientific study of this plant that obviously interacts with the human body in, in powerful ways, especially now that we know more about the endocannabinoid system. It just, it just reveals more and more potential, but because cannabis is still a schedule one, federally uh, prohibited narcotic, it is very difficult for, for the scientific community to study it appropriately. And that's just wrong. It's just so stupid. So I get, uh, I get passionate about that. Um, and, and, you know, that, that, yeah, I don't know. That really is, that really is the side of it that I care about more than anything. I also don't see the harm in recreational access. So, um, you know, why, why? <laughs> we ask that same question it, all, the, all the time because <laughs> we know that the, the LD or the lethal dose is so high. It's like, why? why? It's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the harm here, the, the harm factor seems to be so low. But Well, and also the, the unwillingness of the federal government, um, which of course has, uh, it, it includes the FDA, uh, the, the unwillingness of the federal government to regulate cannabis products reasonably leaves the door open for bad actors. Yeah, and that that that's a point that we've we've seen again with like the vape epidemic and things like that. Right, people are driven to the black market. It's it's unsafe, and well, right. It's, I it's mean, no, nobody's controlling this stuff. It's either it's too controlled, and therefore it's uncontrolled. That is a great way to put it. Um, going back to the book though, again, I'm just changed gears. So this is a memoir Mm -hmm. of, about your mother. Um, in writing the book, cause this is, I mean, it's not only, it sounds like obviously cause it's your mom. It's not only a tale of her life, a tale of your life at the same time. Did you have to go back and do much research to be able to tell this story or is this Oh my God. (laughs) Did you you go back and talk to everyone and anybody that you could get a hold of? It's, it's like 75, 80% research driven. Um, So, excuse me. Um, So my, my book is classified. It's shelved as a memoir. It's classified as a memoir. I call it a memoir, just um, being cute, but it's more it's more research driven than anything. It's a memoir that is not about me. So as a character, I'm born halfway through the book. And then I'm a baby for the next quarter of the book. And it's really only the last the last quarter of the book that I have a point of view that I can write from my own memories. So most of the story is composed of um, information gleaned through interviews and extensive archival research. And uh, so it, it really is a little bit different than a memoir. It's more narrative nonfiction. Um, I try to write with a novelistic style so you just can lose yourself in the story. Um, 
but I'm not the main character. Um, my mom is and the other members of my family, uh, as well as other people involved in the business and their customers. And these are all people I interviewed. So I did maybe, well, I've interviewed uh, about 60 people for the book and hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of hours of interview. And, uh, and then that, uh, and then I spent, I don't know, just years, <laughs> just years in historical archives. Um, well, that's awesome to hear. And I, I, I guess that, that is kind of, um, I guess the cool part of a project like this, right, is, is anytime you deep dive into history, um, to go actually interview those people and, and hear those stories that even if you were a part of it, you weren't privy to. Right. Well, the fact that I was, I was the kid in the room, um, people knew me and, and, and knew that I would be coming to this. And I, I guess what I'm trying to say is um, that having been the kid in the room back then gave me access so that I could talk with growers and I could talk with, uh, with former customers and um, people who had been involved in the business and left. It gave me this, this access to the stories that nobody else would have. Um, but the book is not about me. Um, and and I, I think it's more interesting because of it. <laughs> I, I got to ask, because you mentioned that being being the kid in the room, any plans to write a book just about like the growers and the the culture, cannabis culture back then? Uh, that is covered in this book. OK, it's yeah, it's it's as I say, it's not a traditional memoir. Um, I have there's a big part of the book that deals with the early uh the early days of growing Cincinnati and Humboldt and there's a part of the book that deals with um the the I don't know the distribution there's quite a lot about the evolution of the legalities around cannabis and quite a lot about the medical marijuana movement and and uh so it really is a it's a history of California cannabis culture as much as it is a memoir um Got or it. maybe more even. Mm -hmm. Well, very cool. Um, <clears throat> so not to keep you super long, I, th I think we'll kind of wrap it up with the last few questions here. I, um, I, I was thinking about this as we've been talking, um, and you can answer this any way you want. This is kind of an obscure question, but what do you think you would want your mom's legacy to be given her profession and, and career over time and and where she was and, and what she did and how she did it. Huh, um, that's, that's an interesting question. <laughs> what do I want her legacy to be? Well. Or what do you think she would want her legacy to be? Either way. Oh, she was quite happy to let this one sit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, once I started telling the stories, she, she was fine with it. Uh, the statute of limitations expired a long time ago and she's not in the business anymore. Um, so as, as long as she was safe, she was fine with it. But um, where I see the importance of, of this business is it was, it was the first, well, it's the first delivery service that I've been able to find uh, in California. Um, so the business model was really innovative and you look at what, 
what we have today and delivery services are quite common, but the, the, it was revolutionary at the time. Nobody was doing that. Um, and it was, it was kind of, it was one of the, really one of the first large scale cannabis, cannabis businesses. My mom was a very astute uh, businesswoman. And so it, it was interesting. Um, it was interesting to see this very, I don't want to say aggressive, but this very forward thinking um, business model come out of casual cannabis culture, right? Um, and these days I feel like that's kind of the norm is people who come into cannabis business have to have, um, have to have a really clear business plan. But back in the day, you know, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty, it was very underground and it was pretty casual. Um, so I think, I think it's interesting for those reasons. I think that Sticky Fingers Brownies was a forerunner to, um, a lot of the, a lot of the kind uh, to, to the cannabis business models that we see today. And, um, and I guess I would like to see that recognized. Um, Got it. No, I, I, I can agree with you. I was just going to jokingly ask when is, uh, when's, when's your mom going to hit up ease for a little bit of that, uh, you know, royalty <laughs> check. I know. Right. <laughs> um, she's, um, she's, she's, you know what, she's just glad to have gotten away with it to tell you the yeah. truth. <laughs> totally fair. Um, now, now speaking about the industry, this is uh, a question we like to ask everybody. Um, so you're gonna have to polish off your crystal ball, uh, mm -hmm. or if you have an itching near you, reference that. Um, <laughs> we we always like to talk to people about their um, predictions in the cannabis industry and culture, and we ask that in the frame of what is your one year, five year, and ten year prediction? Oh, gosh. It could be anything. This is totally open ended. It's up to you. Huh. Um. Honestly, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer this. I've been very much focused on the past and I'm and I'm not uh I'm not deeply involved in modern cannabis and as as we've talked about, I'm barely a consumer. Mm -hmm. So, um so I am not sure how to answer that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no worries, that's totally I, fine. You can you can choose to pass or just any thought. I mean, I <laughs> Yeah, I Oh gosh. As far as like um, green rush trends, I don't know. I don't know if I'm a good predictor. I do hope that uh, federal prohibition comes to an end and it seems to be moving in that direction. And again, my main interest there would be finally seeing cannabis uh, studied as a medicine in a scientifically appropriate way without federal obstructions so that we can find out what this, what this plant really can do for us. Um, I still think it's underutilized. Uh, it seems obvious to me that it's under, underutilized and that it forces people into the position to use it without enough data. And I, I feel like, um, I feel like that is coming. I think it's getting that the, the states have taken, have, have been acting a, in, in, um, what am I trying to say? That the in states have been going. To you, if you will. Yeah, I mean the the exactly this. 
at, at this point, it's it, it's overwhelmingly clear that that um, that America would like to see this considered in a different way. I mean, um, oh God, I feel stupid right now. <laughs> no, that that was great. I think okay. you're absolutely right. I think I think that there is an overarching sense. It's funny in the in the divided political um, kind of landscape that we found ourselves in. It it seems like everyone can agree that cannabis yeah. is a plant, and I think we should just have some access to that. <laughs> So. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 funny that this that it, as you as you say in this incredibly divisive political landscape, this seems to be one one of the few things that um, that Dems and Repugs are agreeing on at this point. Um, and I don't know, you know, to me, it's not just the fact that it that it's a plant because there are there are plants that can harm us, but this is a plant with a lot of potential that we don't understand well enough. And, um, and, and that, that to me is, is just ridiculous. So it does seem like that's an unstoppable train at this point. And, um, I'm hoping that that is true, that we will at least be able to gain uh, proper scientific access, um, to studying the plant, uh, and its potential more appropriately in the future. Well, we're here, here uh, to that. That's kind of why we, we started this project. <laughs> Right. Good. Um, before I let you go, um, I did just want to ask, do you have, is there anything we didn't touch on? Is there anything else you'd like to mention? Um, either about your book or, or your mom? Yeah. Let me think <laughs> about that for just a second. Yeah. <sighs> um, you see, we talked about the business model. Uh, no, I don't know. Um, I should talk a little bit about the about the tour if I can. Oh yeah, of course. Sorry. Yeah, tell us about your book tour. I, I that's on my my fault for not bringing that up. So you you've got the book out. Yeah. Um, and you're taking it on tour. Where can we see you? Where can we find the book? Um, yes. That I could just. Well, the the book is available um, in bookstores across the country. Um, I would always advocate for checking with your local independent bookstore, but you can get it anywhere. Um, and I'll be touring quite a bit. Uh, some of the dates are still coming together, but I'm I'm going to be moving through the south. Uh, I have dates in Louisville, Memphis, and Nashville. Oxford, Mississippi. Um, I'm going to be on the East Coast in June, um, a couple of dates in Brooklyn and New York and Miami and uh, throughout California, of course. Uh, so there's quite a bit go there's quite a bit of touring happening and a lot of these events are going to be fun and creative. I'm working with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence in the South and really looking to do some interesting out of the box out of the box stuff. So it's not just like a you know, seeing someone read behind a podium in a bookstore. Um, I love, I love books and I love bookstores and I find that boring. So trying to do some more interesting stuff. Um, you can find out all about the upcoming tour dates at, at my website. It's www.aliavolts.com and uh, all of that is there. Perfect. Excellent. Well, Alia, we really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. We will post 
um, links to your website. You can check out uh, her book tour there. We're also taking the Canavan. We have a converted Sprinter van that's now a, a podcast studio. Um, oh, fun. On the road. So if our, our paths ever link up, we should uh, do a follow-up interview, see how the tour is going. Because I'd be very Absolutely. interested to see how, what the reception is in, in you know, like Little Rock and Nashville and Oxford. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Me we too. Jo- we always joke about this because we get hit up by like hemp farms. They're like, yeah, we're a hemp farm in Arkansas. Come talk to us. And we're like, oh man, this really is that one unifying thing, you know? Yeah. Uh, like Are you going to go? About- oh, we're going to try. We have so many people that have reached out to us. We're going we're gonna to leave oh, wow. July 5th from our spot in Colorado. Okay. So north try to get to Canada and then maybe like in the fall we're gonna uh, head down south and okay and hit some of those spots down there but yeah if our paths ever cross we should uh yeah maybe you in the Canavan see how the book tour is going yeah uh I will by that time of the year I'll probably be a, I, I think I'll, I mean I'll be done with my tour by then mm-hmm. but I'll be in San Francisco at that point so if you come through this area um or anything around here I'd love to meet up for sure Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. That was fun. <laughs> that was Alia Voles telling uh, us about her new book. Um, she has a great tagline for the book. Yeah, that's right. Home Baked. My Mom, Marijuana, and the Stoning of San Francisco. Nice. It was great great conversation i i really enjoy talking to people like this because it's funny she now isn't really a huge marijuana user because she grew up where it was just like just like this this yeah everybody smokes weed it's really not a big deal yeah um so i thought that part was kind of fun um you know of course touting the research driven move forward for the cannabis community we can't say it enough kids Science, 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 facts. Except also eating. <laughs> Except <Because> also eating. <laughs> potentially save their lives, okay? Yeah. I'm and- just saying. <laughs> Not science there, but like I just thought that was such a cool facet of the story. Yeah, definitely. And 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 it loops kind of this this one very uh, uh, again, singular story of the cannabis industry can be an overarching kind of narrative for the whole thing right like it's spirituality it's community it's people helping people it's really that's the whole idea of the the cannabis and marijuana plant in our eyes um but in order to move forward as a result of everything that went down in the 80s you know the struggle with aids the war on drugs we are going to have to do it right and research is going to be the way that that's going to happen absolutely so So really cool episode i'm so glad we got to do that and i'm excited to check out her book Mm -hmm. we're actually going to order copies i don't we'll try to Speaking of her book. Maybe a giveaway. Well, I think we should try. We'll try and see if we can get her book up on our marketplace so that you guys can just oh. one-stop shop, maryjaneexperience.com backslash marketplace for all your cannabis tools, cannabis style, and cannabis wellness needs. We're finishing that up any day now. Um, if you love what we do and you'd like to support us, that's a great way to do it. We're just selling a highly curated selection of products only things that we know and love and think are great brands mostly women owned i mean it's going to be a really cool marketplace we're so excited about it no sticks no stems no just sticks, the no stems. sticky icky, no icky. seeds anyway. actually we might sell some seeds at some point i think that'd be fun yeah, people ask me all the time how they can find high quality good seeds so yeah 
you know, Ooh. I've been doing a lot of research on that and asking a lot of farmers. So we could offer a selection of seeds. New podcast well. idea coming at you soon. Anyway. Absolutely. So another cool thing coming up, a couple cool things coming up. We have three events on the docket. Next week, we have a ladies night, ladies only, sorry, female identifying. We're having a self-care smoke sesh. So grab your favorite face mask, put it on your face, and let's get high together virtually. We also have a DIY infused oils and butters cooking lesson with Robin Lawrence of Cannabis Kitchen Events. And finally, speaking back to our ad at the beginning, we have a panel of doctors that you're going to be able to talk to live. These doctors are from Leafwell, and they are certified medical marijuana doctors. They can prescribe you. But if you have any questions before you make the leap into, you know, paying for your first consultation, they're going to be here on Sunday, May 3rd with us virtually, and you can ask them anything you want. It's going to be super fun. Yep. Speaking of which, uh, this episode again was brought to you by Leafwell. That same panel of doctors that you're going to have access to to ask any questions you want, go ahead, ask them questions. And then when you do decide to make the leap into medical cannabis, getting your medical marijuana card, use code MJE10 for $10 off of your first consultation with Leafwell. Those guys are awesome. All of the doctors are super understanding. We actually had uh, somebody last week went and got her medical marijuana card after her personal physician told her multiple times that medical marijuana was not going to help her. Another success story of the medical cannabis world. Leafwell was able to get her hooked up. She was able to get her medical card and she was able to get high quality medical grade cannabis in these crazy times. And delivered she to her house. Enough. Yeah, got she literally didn't house. have to leave for any of the process that's in new york where mm -hmm. they're they're offering that service so not necessarily everywhere has delivery but but super cool shit going stands. down we're so excited to be getting people the medicine that they need in these crazy times so it really means means a lot to us and if you're gonna go get it also you know help support us a little bit that'd be great we appreciate it anyway enough plugging all the stuff that's keeping the lights on we thank you so much for being a part of the Mary Jane Experience. Please be a part of the conversation. You can find us maryjaneexperience.com. Search us out on social media. Again, a like is a vote. If you like us, share our content, interact with us. That's a vote for legal cannabis. That's a vote to move the sacred plant forward in the conversation. Please be a part of it. We appreciate that. But beyond anything else, please stay safe out there for the time being. Stay home, stay calm. This will all be over soon. Stay high. Stay high, stay lifted. Or not, you know. Stay you happy. Also, you know, if you need to reach out and talk to somebody, hit us up. We're here to talk. Thank you so much again, stoners. We appreciate you. Peace out, potheads.